Hey, hey everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today is a, a little bit different because I'm going to be talking about a Netflix series that I have been watching and that I stopped for a little while and then finally finished. And no, this isn't going to be some cringy reality or horror show I was watching. Obviously, if you know anything about this podcast, it is car related. And of course, I am talking about the only show that I actually care to watch on Netflix that's car related, Hyperdrive. I'm talking about the American Ninja Warrior meets Fast and Furious show that is my new favorite show, Hyperdrive. This is a show that basically answers all my prayers of the type of competition reality style show that I've been hoping for basically all my life. In essence, and there, there was a lot of drifting uh, this season, but basically you have to do a lot of drifting, a lot of precision driving, balance, just a bunch of things you have to do that sort of constitutes a stunt driving so let's say drifting around a corner and then hitting let's see what would i call it basically you're trying to hit something that's the shape of a stop sign and, it, and it'll it gives you points and if you miss well it gives you points. it doesn't give you points but what it does do is make sure you don't actually i'm getting way ahead of myself the point being this is basically a show about stunt driving with a lot of drifting in it if any of you have seen canada's worst driver some of the, well, a very, only one of the obstacles on that show is similar to the one on Hyperdrive, and that's the one about balance, where they're in the, where they're in a hangar and they have the drivers balance on a, what is basically a seesaw. Hyperdrive has a similar obstacle, except it's a lot bigger. It's almost like a mini bridge outside of the obstacles. So the show is different from Canada's Worst Driver in the sense that they actually get people who can drive. Most of the time, they get people who can actually drive. And again, the whole premise of the show is to drive, drift, or do precision driving around certain obstacles. Okay, so again, like American Ninja Warrior, but driving. This show is mega. I was watching the, the first four episodes, and on the very first episode... I saw that Rutledge Wood was in the series, and he was one of the commentator, commentators. And I was like, okay. Guy who's typically on NASCAR, who's typically presenting during NASCAR races, and who was on Top Gear USA. I was like, okay, okay, good choice. And thank God, car guy's choice. So that was good, and then we had two other presenters, and unfortunately, I really can't remember their names. You know, I thought initially the show was a little bit cringy, but as, as I kept watching through the episodes... I started to like the presenters a little bit more. I was like, okay, okay. Some good chemistry here, some good some good uh, dialogue here and there. Not bad, not bad. Certainly not the worst we've seen, not like Top Gear. The first go at a Top Gear without Jeremy Clarkson, James May, Richard Hammond, with Chris Evans. De it definitely wasn't that bad. So the presenting, while I wouldn't say top tier, wasn't bad. It was pretty good. It got better as I watched, but that's not totally the bread and butter of the show obviously with a show like this the bread and butter is going to be the driving and they did a really good job getting a good a good diversity of drivers that had different levels of experience with drifting had different cars so it wasn't all just jdm cars in fact there was not a single miata in this entire series which for some of the obstacles makes a little bit of sense but considering what they were doing was was a little interesting that there was no miata there we did have a few Nissan 180 and 240SXs, which made sense. However, one of them was BMW-powered. BMW Straight 6-powered, I should say. So, like I said, a very good diversity of cars, personalities. We even had, a, I believe they're called the fastest couple in Germany, Alex Graf and Corinna Graf. And they were one of the favorites in the show. Alex had a BMW M5, like a, like a E30 generation 
the E30 M3 Generation M5. What is that, the E36 M5? Anyway, he had one of those, whereas Corinna had a highly built-up... I mean, both of their cars were highly built-up and tuned for drifting, but Corinna chose a Mercedes, like a 2010 generation Mercedes E-Class Coupe as a drift car, which is very unique, considering that I don't even think it was an AMG version. It was just a normal one that was basically a Formula drift car, except probably without the, as much power. Someone even managed to bring a 19... I think a, a 1968... Dodge Charger, and they upgraded, they upgraded it to make it a proper drift machine, despite the fact that it was massive. The diversity of the drivers, in terms of skill, well, sort of in terms of skills, but certainly in terms of skill level and experience and that sort of thing. And then the diversity of the cars made it really, really entertaining to watch. And then, and then the obstacles that they had, so now we can finally get into that. They had an obstacle where people had to drive through, it's kind of hard to explain, but basically it was this, it was just this big square area, it had maybe less like a foot of water well on the race section because the idea was that they had to drive through a path of what was essentially least resistance to get to the other side of the track they called it walk on water and the race part of the track had lights to guide people through in it and on the tv anyway it was a little bit darker than the other areas but they had to stay on the path because if they fell off well then they they'd fall into much, like, significantly deeper water and risk flooding their engine. Which they, which, one of the competitors, a guy called Fielding Shredder, and I am not kidding, that is his actual name, would end up almost flooding his engine anyway when he plowed right into the water full speed. On the race section, mind you. Generally, you shouldn't be able to flood your engine on the higher, on the, on the elevated path, but Fielding Shredder found a way to do it anyway. Then they had, what well, I was talking about, that seesaw thing, and they called it the leveler. Basically, you had to go back and forth and try and balance this this structure right in the middle, or at the very least, primarily in the middle. Well, no, actually, in the middle, but they had a small bit of leeway. That obstacle a few people had had issues with. Some people couldn't get it, others got it pretty good. They had an obstacle where you basically had to do a... They called it a Rockford turn, but it was basically just a J-turn, reverse, flick the wheel, and then drive off the other direction. But in one alteration of it, you had to do it back-to-back. Back. So you'd hit, I guess, like a, like a point. Back up, do the J-turn. Hit the next point. Back up, do another J-turn. That, that was a fun obstacle. But the show has a bunch of obstacles like that, drifting. One of them was, it was a straight road, but they had... I don't want to call them billboards, but let, let's just call them signs. They weren't actually signs, but let's call them signs. And what you had to... And basically what you had to do... Especially when you're drifting in this competition, you have to hit the sign with the with the back of your car, like rear quarter panel. Like, well, quarter panel to fender. You can't hit it with the side of your door. You can't hit it with the front of your car. You definitely can't do that. That's a penalty. So what you had to do was slide like a slalom from right side to left side to right side to left side in order to hit these signs and not get a penalty, which was really really quite entertaining to watch because some people just could not do it to save their life and or, or at the very least they couldn't get all of them which makes sense it, it was a tricky obstacle but a fun obstacle to watch there were there were a lot of drifting obstacles i'll say that and a lot of drift cars so it's sort of less about let me put it to you like this don't think of it like autocross this event is not completely like that it's more like it's more like if you were drifting on a track and officials had set up points that you had to drift through. It, but in an autocross manner. So they weren't always on the racing line or the drifting line or whatever. That's a That'll give you a better idea of what this event was 
uh, or what the show is like. So not not so much traditional racing, more so precision driving with a good emphasis on drifting. So some of you, let's say racing fans like F1, perhaps NASCAR, Trans Am, SSCA, all that sort of thing, might be a little bit disappointed that they're sliding the cars more than they're driving precisely, but it's still so, so entertaining to watch. And the final, well, let's not talk quite yet about the final episode. Let's talk about some of the cars that, let me say this, not everyone made it, obviously it's a competition show, but some of the cars genuinely broke. Like someone broke their entire front right suspension, toe link and all, it just, that the whole right front right side of the car collapsed. A few people nearly completely... One person actually completely flooded their engine. Another guy at Sushi, at Sushi Taniguchi in a Toyota... I think it was a Toyota Crown Royal. Yeah, someone brought a right-hand drive all the way from Japan. A Toyota Crown Royal to drift, and they hardly ever used a handbrake. They were more old school in the sense of just clutch kick and slide it out. On the leveler, because they have... On the leveler, they had... They were basically plates that either... That would lower once the leveler was ready or or when it wasn't and at sushi at sushi i think on the second or third episode went full full force ramped off ramped off uh the plate and and landed on the leveler and it was it was a complete accident i don't know how they didn't know that they were supposed to stop but they didn't they went full send and ramped the mess out of the leveler it was Kind of scary because this thing's about 15 feet, maybe 20 feet up in the air. So not landing inside or having an accident there would be quite frightening. But they did. The car didn't suffer. It didn't suffer major damages somehow. Or at the very least, I don't remember seeing any. And he continued on with, with his running. Atsushi was a very, very skilled competitor, especially considering some of the things that he pulled off. Most others would have used a handbrake. He didn't. He had more than enough skill to know just how to how to clutch it in properly and that that was masterful he was an excellent driver and so outside of that i think between episodes four and six someone actually brought an honest to god race car like a mercedes amg gt gt3 racer oh well well maybe not quite it was mod it was modified quite similar similarly to that though but the thing was they couldn't drift at all for a variety of reasons. So in order to hit the sign, the, the obstacles that had the signs where you had to drift through them, they hit him with the door. I, I think they ended up getting disqualified as they rightfully should have. But that was that was a pretty big oversight of them to bring such a such a specialty vehicle like well, to bring a vehicle like that that wasn't as balanced. Like a stock AMG GT would have been fine. Not one of their caliber though. That wasn't their brightest idea. Someone else though was a little bit crazier. They brought a Lamborghini Huracan, a twin-turbo, 1,000-horsepower Lamborghini Huracan, I kid you not, to what is mostly a drifting competition or drift-based competition. And yet, they came up with a really clever way to get around it, not that their driving skills helped enough, but they came up with a way to disengage the Lambo's all-wheel drive, because it, was it wasn't a, a 580 a Lamborghini Huracan 582. No, this was the sick. This was the full-on LP610. It was an all-wheel drive Huracan, and they figured out how to get around it by. I guess it was like because they had a switch in the cabin that would disengage the front axle one way or another. I don't remember if they talked specifically about the, how the system worked, but it did work. They figured out how to disable the all-wheel drive in the in the Huracan, and they basically made 
an LP610-2. And it was rear-wheel drive, and it allowed them... I wouldn't say drift the Lambo around the, such obstacles, because they really didn't. They more so slid the rear end by pulling the handbrake into the obstacles. But still, they did, they did figure it out, to their credit. And then, on the complete opposite end of the spectrum, a girl from Florida brought a V6 Mustang in S197, like 2014 S197, V6 Mustang, to the competition. I kid you not. And spoilers, on during one, uh, I think it was, with, once again, between episodes four and six, during one of the routes, because they, they, they had a route that they were supposed to go through the obstacles in, she ended up beating the Lambo's time just because she could slide it more easily. A V6 Mustang, pretty much a stock V6 Mustang, I don't even think it had any mods to it, beat out a twin turbo, all-wheel drive that could be converted, that could be swapped to rear-wheel drive, 1,000 horsepower Lamborghini Huracan. That, that was one of the best moments in the series because it showed, it, it, it proved that high horsepower, it, it proved that the course was, it was difficult enough to give really all cars a chance at success, provided the drivers were good enough. So it was a very, it was actually a pretty fair competition. And that, again, that was a fantastic moment in the series that a V6, a V6 Mustang beat out a twin turbo 1000 horsepower Lamborghini Huracan that could be swapped to all wheel drive if necessary. Of course, though, not everyone, there were a good, a, a good handful of people that brought purpose built drift cars, obviously the graphs, uh, a guy with an RX-7 that didn't actually make it to the competition, which was sad. Uh, let, let me think here. The Charger I mentioned, the Nissans, the, the 180 or 240 SXs, a guy called Diego Iga brought a 05, like a really early S197 Ford Mustang drift car. He was, spoilers, Diego was awesome. He was excellent. And then another guy, a friend of Diego's actually, Zhao, uh, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, brought a 68 Mustang Fastback that was highly modified. Not quite Hoonicorn levels, but not not too too dissimilar to that. At the very least, not dissimilar in concept. And so we so we did indeed have two Mustangs. We had a Charger. Charger suffered suspension problems right near uh, near towards the end, which broke my heart because I loved that car. Oh, then obviously we had the girl from Florida with the V6 Mustang. Then we had a guy that I actually met at the SS at the SSCA race that I went to last year. A guy called Michael Pet uh, Pettiford, if I remember correctly. And he brought a C6 Corvette. He was from, I think it's, I think it's Go Fast Racing Schools. And he's from Colorado. So I was like, yes, got a guy from Rado. Also cool, a guy I know is on this show. Or, yeah, is on the show. That is awesome. Um, I mean, it was, it really was for 10 minutes. And, and, and then he crashed on one of the obstacles where they had to do a 360 and couldn't end up, didn't, couldn't fix the car. So, yeah, um, he wasn't there for the rest of the competition, which made me very sad. So I was like, no, you were supposed to be representing Colorado and now we're out? Dang it. So, so that did make me a bit sad. But it was still cool seeing him there because I was like, oh, cool. A guy I know is on this awesome show. Fantastic. But yeah, he unfortunately, Michael didn't get as far as I was hoping. Uh, let me think. What other cars were there? 
we had the Mercedes AMG GT, we had the Lamborghini Huracan that was that got surprisingly far, considering the driver wasn't terrible, but I don't think was the most comfortable with sliding. So, especially not with the one thousand horsepower Lambo. So, oh, and they can also swap on the fly. They can also switch it on the fly. So when they'd start when they'd start a run, he would launch an all wheel drive, and then when he had to come to a drifting or sliding obstacle, he would swap while the car was moving to rear wheel drive. So they did they did a really good job figuring out and dialing in that Lambo to get it to work for the competition. Actually, I just found out I was wrong. Someone did actually bring a Miata. I guess I forgot from the early episode because a lot of people went out. Someone brought an RX-7. Aaron Parker was the driver behind it. They were, you know, they were good, but they were inconsistent. And unfortunately, spoilers, they didn't make it to the end of the competition. And more spoilers, they weren't actually given a second chance, which made me sad. But yeah, they were... The car had problems, and and again, they were a little bit inconsistent. Oh, here's one I forgot about. Someone bought a Bedford HA van. Apparently, it was based on a 1970s era Vauxhall Vivo sedan. He kept getting lost. He kept pulling a James May, but good lord, was his little van a rocket ship. Couldn't drift to save his life, but nor could the car for that matter, but it was Fast. Stacy Lee May actually brought a BMW E30 3 Series. Not an M3, but it was a 3 Series and it was a coupe. Unfortunately, she flooded her car pretty bad at Walk on Water. A girl called Brittany Williams brought actually the only Nissan 350Z in the entire competition. Which is a little surprising. I thought we would have seen a little more of those, but no. Uh, someone tried to bring a Chevrolet Camaro, like a 67 or 68. They did not do well whatsoever. Okay, I found a place that actually has the cars and the names and all that. So, Brent Percival had a 1972 Pontiac Firebird. That did not do very well whatsoever. Oh, good, they don't have the name for this person. Either way, someone else had a Nissan Silvia, a Silvia an S14 with the... Rocket Bunny kit on the front that kind of makes it look like a muscle car, which was nice. I don't think they lasted very long either. Saul Valencia, I hope I have that right, brought a 1972 Datsun 240Z. I actually don't remember how that did. Considering I don't remember whether or not they got to the fourth episode, I'm going to assume not very far. In fact, they, were, they had the only 240. They had the only 240Z, and I don't even think it was a proper drift car. It was more like, uh, sort of like a drag setup. I don't know. It was just a, it. it from what I'm looking, from what I see right now, it looks like a really weird build that's not drift-oriented. Then Farouk, I'm sorry, I can't get your last name, brought a 2008 BMW E92 3 Series. And they actually got really, really far. I think they got up to episode 8. And then they lost to... They actually lost to Fielding Shredder, unfortunately. But they were... Oh, wait, no. Did they lose to Fielding Shredder? I, either that happened or their engine cut out. No matter how you slice it, uh, they got really, really far, but... Unfortunately, they couldn't make it to the end. Then we had, as I said earlier, Michael Pettiford with his 2010 Chevrolet Corvette Grand Sport. Which, let me just say, his build is a proper SSCA spec car. Not made for drifting, not made for sliding. It's it's a proper amateur race car. So even if he didn't, even if he didn't go out between episodes one or two, I can't imagine he would have gotten very far with how much sliding. They had you. They had everyone do in episodes really one through ten, which is the entire series. Well, the, sorry, season. It's the entire season. Then we had a guy called Mike Martin in a 2010 Chevrolet Camaro SS. 
they did not get, get very far, unfortunately. I, I kind of would have liked to have seen how far that, that car could have gotten. Couldn't hang with the big, with, with the top players, sadly. Mark Rios brought a 2002 Chevrolet Camaro SS, a proper catfish Camaro, in what looked like a very drag-spec Camaro. And no, they did not get very far. Then you had Ed, I can't figure out the last name, with what looks like a very pro-touring 1969 Chevrolet Camaro. But that's another car I would have loved to have seen how far that could have gotten, but alas... They didn't. With, so, with that information in mind, given that this is definitely more... This is a competition that favors drift cars a lot more than really most other types of builds. In Season 2, I would like to see a greater mix of, of not only drift events, but maybe autocross, maybe definitely other types of events that, that would help not... That would count just as much towards their ultimate... Their, their, uh, their time as the drift events do, because what it eventually boiled down to is if you don't have a lot of experience with drifting or if your car isn't a very very good isn't a very good drift car you're you're gonna struggle you're gonna struggle one way or another just just for pure pace and so if we do get a season two of hyperdrive that's what i'd like to see is a, a few less drifting obstacles and more traditional driving racing line track you know track day style racing or driving Almost like, um, I don't want to say witness protection, but sort of something of that matter. A little less thre theatrical and more traditional. Just just so cars like that Camaro, like like the 69 and the 2010 Camaro, aren't hung out to dry because their cars aren't, aren't made specifically for drifting. Or at the very least, aren't as competent at, at drifting as some of the other cars that we had. In fact, also uh, including Michael's Corvette. Or perhaps even the van, because the, the Bedford van, I think had the potential to do well. Well, the car itself had the potential to do well because it was lightning fast. It had a motorbike engine and it's obviously very light because it's it's basically like a Reliant Robin van except with four wheels. Now, I say I think the car could have done well. The driver they were a much different they were a much different case. They kept getting lost. In fact, primarily they kept getting lost, missing missing obstacles, so on and so forth. I think the vehicle could have done well in a more balanced setting, but the driver, I don't know. So in conclusion, watch the show. Watch it. It is mega. It is fantastic. It's everything I could have asked for in a in a stunt driving American Ninja Warrior style car sh uh, automotive show. It's fantastic. It's the finale had me on the edge of my seat. I almost cried because one of the competitors I was really hoping would get to the end. They 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 just couldn't. They DNF. Car car had a problem. It's such a good show. We need a second season. We need ten seasons like American Ninja Warrior. It's it's so good. It's it's like those Top Gear challenges that they used to do, except a lot more organized with with more purpose built cars and less wacky. So good. So so good. I wasn't. You know, I was hyped, and then it fell off my radar. I was like, oh, I'll get to it at some point. Then a friend of mine said, oh, well, they watched. And I was like, and it was really good. I was like, oh, okay, okay, right, right. Thanks for reminding me. I need, I need to watch that show. I wish I watched it sooner. It is awesome. I implore you, watch the show. Tell me what you think. I really, really enjoy it. Anyway, that'll be it for today. If you want to know anything more, uh, I'll make a second episode. Uh, but don't forget to like, comment, share, and subscribe. And don't forget to follow this podcast wherever you are, Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Google Podcasts, it might be there. Tune in. Anyway, I will see you all later. I really enjoyed the show. Watch it.
and thanks for listening to this episode.